And welcome back to the New Republic podcast, episode 11, where we're going to talk about everything to do with experimentation, personalization, and that little ugly word, uh, CRO. Today, I'm joined with uh, my wonderful co-founder and co-host, Stacey Isaac. Stacey, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. And very lucky to have a guy by the name of Jeremy Chan from a wonderful company who every time I remember, I say his company's name, I think of his song. You ready? Exactly. Good thing. So Jeremy, welcome aboard. Thanks, Neymar. Good to be here. I think, I think um, best way to start this, Jeremy, given that um, some people might know about good thing and some might not, Let's level out the playing field. Do you want to give us a bit of an intro into the business, who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, we're basically a, uh, a B2B predominantly business that makes promotional products and branded, um, branded goods for companies for marketing purposes. So it's everything from, you know, your branded pen and tap through to uniforms and anything with your logo on it, really. Yeah, my favourite term is swag, right? That's what they yeah, call it. That's the exactly. industry term, swag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's swag. Yeah. So, so Jeremy and I got introduced through a, a mutual third party that we both know. And uh, why I really like Jeremy's story. Now, Jeremy and I hadn't met previously this conversation, but I really like this story because every time on this, um, on this podcast, we always have people who are either working in experimentation or who are practicing it in some level, consultancy side, client side. But what I found really interesting in Jeremy's story was he... Yeah, I don't want to say this the wrong way, Jeremy, but you kind of fell into it because you had to, right? Correct. That was a really (laughs) cool story. And I'm like, aha. So I thought to all the people listening, here is proof of experimentation works if if you're still a naysayer. So maybe you want to give us a bit of a background, Jerry, into like the business and how you fell into this category? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, the, the short the short version of it, Nima, is uh, I was originally in retail in uh, men's ties and cufflinks, and uh, we we had lots of retail stores, and that that did well for a couple of years, and then the GFC hit, and people stopped wearing ties, and we were forced to sort of uh, diversify, and uh, it was actually in the form of a customer uh, coming up to one of our stores, uh, I think it was at Southland, uh, um, and asked us to do ties for their motor show. It was actually BMW. Uh, asking us for motor show tires, also now gone. And we started doing their, you know, their merchandise for motor shows and then one thing led to another and we, we do a whole suite of products for them. Oh, wow. And so Good Thing was born out of that? Yeah, we are technically um, promotive um, before we rebranded for Good Things at the start of uh, 2019. Interesting. So it's called something else and you actually went through a rebranding exercise. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Very interesting. Okay, so so... Tell, I think for our listeners and set up the premise, tell us the backstory around, I think the branding that fell into redesign that then got you into experimentation and, and the experience that you had. I think that sets up the conversation. So we were, um, we were known as Promotive for about uh, seven years almost. Is that like automotive and promotion coming together? Uh, no, no. Oh, well, maybe it subconsciously came together like that, right. but... Um, <laughs> to, to be honest, we kind of just thought the name sounded pretty catchy and it was easy to remember. But we had a light bulb moment probably, I'd say around mid-2017, where people were calling us up and asking if we were promo, I think it was promo TIFF. And we said, no, no, we're promo TIFF. And 
It made us think, if we're getting calls from another company, it sounds like us, how many of our calls are we missing? Like how many you know, people mm. calling promo tip and asking the promo tip? And obviously, you know, they just probably just take the, take the business right there and there. So look, we, we had a light bulb moment and thought, look, everyone in our industry is promo this or promo that. And we're not very different at all. And one thing we always try to be is obviously a bit standout, a little bit unique and um, a little bit more memorable. And we thought promotive is probably the most uninspired, unmemorable name out there. So um, we had, we had a, a bit of soul searching. I still like the name because I came up with it. But the other thing that added to the... Um, the unhappiness with the name is we don't have the we didn't have the domain for promotive.com.au and the guy who had it we reached out to him a few times and he wouldn't sell it for any price uh quote unquote and we, we made him some big offers and he just wouldn't want it and he, and he barely used it which is a great name <laughs> why would you go and get rid of it yeah oh well he, he was a small mechanic in queensland and he didn't want to get rid of it and um so we have always been be promotive which kind of irks us a little bit as well but even though that's a bit catchier and look, we engaged an agency, uh, a, you know, a pretty reputable um, creative agency, and they, they came up with this whole concept around us being not just another promotional product company and a, a company that provides good things. Good thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Should we play the song? I like it. <laughs> so, okay, so they came up with good thing. Now, now, now let's keep this story going and, and tell me about how they rolled out the brand website came up and then what happened? Yeah, so um, one thing we uh, have always been, um, is we've kind of been pretty tech focused. So myself and my co-founder, we are both uh, IT uh, graduates back in the day. And we always um, engage this agency just to do the branding and just the visual side of things. And we would always do the website and we, as we always have previously. So um, they did all the branding. We're really, we're ecstatic with the branding and the style and everything. And we actually said, look guys, can you maybe take a step beyond? And rather than us taking that brand and putting it on our existing website, how about you do a, you know, a home page and a product page and just set the style sort of theme for us? And surely enough, they, uh, they waved their wand and came up with this beautiful set of, you know, um, I guess, style guide and theme for our website and a home page and a product page. And yep. we looked at it and, you know, I think it's quite easy to be just infatuated with what marketing agencies come up with, right? They're the, the masters of, you know, presenting stuff and, you know, you fall in love with it and, it was, it was like a, um, a moment, like, you know, when you, you open an Apple product, it was just a, a moment of delight and we loved it. We thought this is the most wow. beautiful thing we've ever seen. So we went about coding it and we got it coded pretty quickly, obviously, and, um, and rolled it out. Not, not a thought to, you know, what actually happens on our site. We just thought beauty, beautiful, beauty is good, simple, clean. We're pretty much like, the, we're pretty much like the Apple or promotional products. Why not? And we rolled it out. And that's when the, the, the game's really begun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So what happened? So what actually happened uh, was we were, we were just happy with ourselves. We, you know, we just kept on refreshing and thinking, you know, wow, we're, we're high end now. We're sophisticated. But we weren't really looking at the data. And we've got all the data, but we just, for whatever reason, in hindsight, that seems pretty silly. But we just thought, yep, people know what's good, what looks good. This is great. Let's just see what happens. And you know what? I, I don't think it was until about two weeks in which where I sort of pulled up um, some numbers, some, um, basically conversion numbers and some, um, uh, the number of leads submitted. And I realized, hey, this is a pretty sharp job, drop. Is there any um, seasonal reason? Has there been Christmas? Or, but it wasn't. It was February. When you say sharp, I'm like a picture of like a falling off a cliff kind of sharp. Are we talking that kind of sharp or steady sharp? Well, I think it was about 60%. Wow. So, yeah, it was mm. pretty sharp. And wow. to be honest, I, the, the last thing that came to mind immediately was, 
hey, it's because the site looks nicer and cleaner. The first thing was like, okay, what's happened? Has there been a bro- broken links on the site? Has there been public holiday? <laughs> Has there been a revolution? Has there been a COVID? There was nothing. There was, there was no reason other than our rebranding. But we, we looked for every reason and we couldn't find one. And we thought, okay, look, <laughs> there's only one thing. It's staring us right in the eye. So we, we realized that it was definitely that. It's got to be the website. Super interesting. The site was going to be awesome. Launched it two weeks later. You've got this big dip happening. Yeah. And you isolate all out kind of That's got to be it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what were you thinking at that point? Good thing or bad thing? Oh, um, we were thinking the writing was on the wall. We know what it is, even if we didn't want to admit it. And the strangest part about it, I think, was that it was two key pages, but mainly the homepage. So the landing page uh, where everything landed was turning people away for whatever reason. And was that the homepage or? Yeah, the, the homepage, homepage, the homepage. Yeah, right. And it was, yeah, mainly just two pages, which um, just did everything, which was responsible. So what did you do? Well, you obviously had that realization <laughs> and a bit of panic, I, I imagine. What, what, what were your next steps? Uh, I think the first thing we actually did was we, uh, well, I did a bit of soul searching, uh, <laughs> firstly, and I had a look at, you know, two side-by-side shots, you know, I had the old screenshot using the Wayback Machine and using the, you know, the current page. And I said, what are the key differences? How can, you know, like what stands out like a sore thumb? And it just jumped out at me that the search bar that normally used to be top and front and center had been disappeared into an icon that when you clicked on it sort of extended out. And I thought, you know what, every time I go to a page, I go straight to search. And all of a sudden this search looks really nice. It's just an icon, but it's just a bit annoying to use, right? It's just one extra click that you need to make. So I, I was quite forensic with it. I thought, okay, what does my eye immediately go to? And it's no longer there. And that was the first step we did. That was what got the ball rolling. We reinserted the search bar and it jumped dramatically. It jumped like, I think 20% straight away oh. overnight. Was this just a little test? Like, had you heard about testing or conversion rate optimization, or you just literally said, this is my business, sales are dropping, and you just kind of did the analysis without having any background into the fact that people do this for a living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely was aware of um, CRO. I'd always thought of it as a small thing, like, you know, a little, like 5% is here, 10% is here. I never thought that, you know, obviously search bar is major, but one or two things could have major results. Uh, you know, a long time ago, I'd, I'd looked at, you know, articles about what color buttons you should have and lots of things. I've always thought it was a, an add-on rather than a crucial yeah. element. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, you know, like um, there was a study done a long time ago, uh, university, I think it was Stanford. Anyway, they did a study around, you know, the key activities that drives conversions on a site. And what they found is, it's like Pareto's law, 20% of the site features drives 80% of the outcomes. So like you said, right. search, search results page, product page. So it's, um, it's interesting to have that light bulb moment. So walk me through the process. So you start with search. Now, did you, did you test it or did you like, oh, I'm just going to implement search? No, that one was straight away. There was no, no testing required. We thought, no, that's a no-brainer. And did you see a result straight away or was it incremental? The search was immediate. Um, off the top of my head, it was probably something like a 20% jump. It was astronomical. And I think something about like 20 or 25% of all visitors to our site click on that first. So if anyone runs a promotion business, search is the key. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think, it's, I think it's a really interesting topic, which is that conversation that we often have, which is brand versus conversion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think... Um, 
you know, it, it's different sitting where we are now at New Republic and what we think about brand and design and, and it's, it's, it's a really important part for us that we design something that's beautiful and it meets all the brand guidelines of a business, but the importance of conversion, you know, like we, I remember we had a situation where we were working with a large banking client of ours and we were engaged to do all the digital and the website development for them, mm -hmm. but they had engaged an independent branding agency. So rather than that was something we had done for other clients, but in this scenario, we were working with an external branding agency and same sort of thing, like absolutely beautiful design, absolutely stunning. They passed over the designs to us. And then we had this really awkward point in the, in the project where we had to come back to them and say, look, it looks amazing, but you know, you've moved like the logo to the right hand side of the page and you've got rid of half of the IA in the navigation and, there's no, you know, category filters or that there was all these things that were missing. And I think for them, they were thinking, oh, well, you're just trying to, you know, criticize our work because you're a different agency and you're a competitor. <laughs> and it actually wasn't the case at all. It was just that, you know, having been, you know, a branding agency and that was their DNA mm. and not knowing best practice for UX and not knowing, you know, how to transform those designs into a digital platform, things just weren't working. And, and so having to try and educate them and explain to them the importance of US best practice. You know, but and that was um, that was a couple of years ago now. But it's it's funny how, you know, it still happens. I think all the time today. You know that people just work with branding agencies who don't have that digital experience, and and the um, I guess the drop in sales or revenue or the effect it can have on clients can be actually really dramatic. Yeah, that's a really good point you make about brand versus function because um, one of the um, chats I actually recall with my co-founder was we we sat down and we said look unbelievably clean versus functional. There has to be a middle ground. We've got to find it. But the fact of the matter is we thought about our target market and we thought we're not selling Rolexes, right? People aren't coming to have a look, have a browse or whatever. We, they, they want to find the product they're after. They want to submit an inquiry. Um, we were set up to basically almost be like a luxury goods retail. That's, that's this kind of style it had. It's interesting you say that because it reminds me of one of our clients, which I probably can't name names, but <laughs> a large e-commerce retailer, which we had exactly the same scenario. Mm. And we, our first idea was to really clean up the homepage because it was cluttered. There were so many products on there. Like it was just overwhelming. The brand colors were quite, you know, gregarious. So we just thought we'll really simplify and clean it up. And in that particular test we did for the client, the sales dropped. And lucky through testing, we're monitoring that with data. So we realized pretty quickly and we went back to control and then did a different version, but it was down to actually the brand customer and you can explain it better than I can, Nima, but you know, the, the, the customer for that particular brand, it didn't resonate. They didn't want that high end luxury, clean, spacious look. They wanted the clutter. They wanted the prices to be up front. Do you remember that, Nima? The audience uh, slapped us down and told us what they want. So... I don't think it's one thing or the other. I think there's a balancing ground between how the brand expresses itself and functional experiences required for a user to perform a certain task. So I think, you know, and looking at your site today, I think from a aesthetics perspective, I mean, the brand aesthetics, it looks really great. I mean, it's beautiful design. What that tells you though, is it's important not only to understand the brand, but understand your customers and going to what you said, you know, it's, 
the customer might want that premium luxe experience and that's correct for the brand or the, the customer might not resonate with that. So it's about designing an experience which really talks to your customer base for your business. I mean, I would say one thing I, I've identified in, in you know, a lot of the experiments we've run and coming from a, a, a brand and design background is at the end of the day, there are components on a website that are functional, like search, and they're required. And then there are elements on a site that are more of a brand aspiration experience. So when you're talking about us or you might be displaying a product, you definitely want to have some of those aesthetic or, you know, nice to feel videos and so forth. So it's a balancing act between the two. I don't think it's one or the other. So let's move on. So you put the search in and I wanted to know, so how did you, that one you implemented, but how did you then start experimenting and building on that learning that you had? That's what I'm really keen to dig into. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, uh, that first and, and sort of major change really got us thinking, all right, how do we basically roll back without rolling back? So we wanted to definitely make a step forward. So we did consider just totally rolling back to our old site with a new brand. But then we thought, you know what, that's kind of going backwards in yeah. some way. So rather than do that, we pretty much decided to re- overhaul our new site basically using what we thought would be best practice. Um, and what I, what I actually did was um, I did a bit of research. Um, I created a spreadsheet of what in my mind was the top 20 websites in Australia. Um, and I just thought, you know, who are the biggest retailers in Australia? Who, who would be A-B testing or, or, you know, have multiple people in their team or companies doing working on their UX? And what can we learn from them? So um, I, I put up a spreadsheet of 20 Everyday names, the ones that come to mind, uh, Booktopia, Dan Murphy's, uh, Appliances Online, all the ones that I think are you know, really leading the yeah. industry. And in the column spreadsheet, I actually put just the really basically what traits each website had. So the first column I think was search bar. And universally, in the top 20 websites I had, every single person had a search bar top front center. And I thought, okay, what were we thinking removing that? And the second one might have been, you know, uh, product categories in top bar. Because um, that was gone as well from us. And in fact, we never had it, to be honest. So even when we rolled back, um, it was something new for us. Um, the third one might be um, phone number visible in top right page because our phone number was gone. And, you know, like there was, there was literally probably 20 items which I, I'd come up with. And most of them, off the top of my head, about 12 to 15 of every of those top 20 companies had most, if not all of them. It was quite compelling how much people weren't like the, the, the standard thing. It taught me that the standard things you just can't, can't skip out on if you want a high conversion rate. So, so we had them all mapped out and uh, I, I walked through, through them with my developer. And then we started uh, our, our version two of uh, the clean Rolex style site. Yeah. Right. And so how did you then run your experiments? Were you like, um, you know, putting it into uh, a B testing tool and then running that experiment, getting to stat sig, did you always get the stat sig as well? I mean, what were you looking for when you went, that's a good one to implement? Yeah. Um, so we ran um, a couple of things. We ran um, Google Optimize on the, for the AB testing. Yep. Um, so for the, the bigger kind of style items, we ran AB tests. And we'll, look, we probably didn't run it for long enough just because we're you know, conscious of how long these take to get big numbers. But yep. we only ran each one for two weeks. And if it was kind of close, we generally still change it. I mean, if it was sort of 55% in favor of the new variation, we'd still change it. So it didn't have to be crazy, crazy compelling, but 
in our, in our mind, you know what, that's still better than, you know, the, the status quo. And for the smaller things, such as button placements and, and images and, and reviews and that sort of thing, we, um, we just did heat mapping. So we did a lot of, um, you know, seeing where people browse, seeing what, what's hot, what's, um, what, where the mouse movements are going and uh, just looked at that data pretty closely. Okay, so a bit of a qualitative and quantitative study, so a mixed method study, and then you built on that. Okay, interesting. Exactly. And yeah. um, I was going to say, how did you manage the the brand versus conversion at this point? Because obviously you've obviously finished working with the branding agency. You're saying that you're doing a lot of stuff with your developers, but you're not mentioning really anything about designers at this point. So if you've kind of taken this on yourself, I'm imagining that you're navigating to try and maintain this new beautiful brand, but then trying to make something a bit more conversion friendly. So did you have examples where you put something on and thought that is just not working? I need to redo that. Or how, how did you manage the design side of, to get that balance? Yeah, good question. Um, to be honest, I think we made a call pretty early that design for us, and particularly in our game, um, in our industry, was going to take a firm backseat to function. In the day, we are um, obviously um, primarily concerned with lead volumes and, and therefore and you know sales in, in the subsequent weeks than we are about people saying we have a beautiful site. So we made that distinction pretty early, uh, early on, actually, Stacey. And then after that, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, we we basically tried everything function, and if it had a bit of style in it, then that was a bonus. <laughs> we uh, yeah we we had a, an early chat with our um, original branding agency and we said hey this is what we're going to do and they gave us some pointers on what to do and what not to do but again it came back to that we had a look at some really crazy busy sites like some american websites are crazy busy right there's stuff everywhere and we said look we don't necessarily want to go that far but if we had to we would you know if that meant we got you know more conversions then that's that's a winning a win for us so tell me something what was the like what was your process for testing you know everyone's got their own methodology i'd love to know like I, you said, you know, you studied the, the big guys, you've obviously used some heat mapping, you put it into testing, you know, how did you formulate your test designs? Or were you like, I'm just going to test this versus that? And how did you know what, you know, how did you know what was the reason the conversion was right beyond, was it sales? Was it the click event? Because not every action means you're going to get an uplift in sales. So how did you, how did you measure that? Or did you just measure stuff that had a sales impact? Uh, yeah, good question. I, I think the, um, the, one of the main things for us is that it wasn't always really, really clear cut. I think we use a bit of our discretion as well. The, the other tool I found pretty handy was just getting independent um, user testing. Yep. Done. So we uh, we obviously paid for um, uh, you know, some independent third party tests, and you know watching some of those recordings was really eye-opening. I don't know if they're necessarily all correct, obviously, but it definitely gave us some insights into how a user would actually browse and what they saw and whatever, whatever. But to ask you a question, yeah, look, I don't know if every, or not even like every, like most of our tests was ex were extremely clear cut, but if they were incremental in improvements, like we saw a little bit of improvement here and there, um, we, we took that as a win. I, I, don't, I don't think we necessarily have the, the large enough pool of data to sort of uh, run it for long enough rather to just yeah, make a definitive call all the time, yeah. So if you saw the positive behavior that you're looking for, you'd say that's a good outcome within that two-week period and I'm going to call that test as a winner and I'm going to implement that. Yeah. I mean, I mean to be fair, I think it was um, a mixture. I mean, maybe half of our tests would, were clear winners um, at, a, at a really random guess. It was just no-brainers. It was just 
go up variant B or whatever. Yep. And the, there's definitely a lot of subtle ones as well. Yeah. And, and what did you do with the ones that were like, you know, floaters that reached that sick or weren't showing a positive uplift, you know, maybe a few percent uplift, but no real direction either way. What did you do with those ones? Did you throw them out and start again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back to the drawing board. Um, anyway, yeah. Got it. Okay. Interesting. And like, yeah. so it's really interesting. So you've, you've kind of found your way through this or had you done this before? Cause you know, you're, you're doing all the right things. Like were you talking to people or were you just kind of reading or were you on the neuro public LinkedIn? Mate, to be honest, yeah, we're a little bit, a little bit just finding our way. I, I still think this level of sophistication of what we do is relatively low. Literally, just have a crack uh, and you know, test each thing and look at the data. Um, we keep, we keep a pretty good change log in general as well. Like just, yeah, you know, test and measure, test and measure. Like, you know, I, I think we're just, uh, you know, just trying to make the best of what we have, our limited traffic, and make sure that you know we're not letting, letting any fly out, fly out the door. Interesting. And tell me something. I don't know if you've done this, but have you have you noticed your SEO rankings? Have you been watching your SEO rankings with all the changes? A little bit. Uh, we traditionally aren't uh, very strong in SEO, but you know we we we're, we're we're in there, but we're not. Uh, I have right faith. On page one. I have faith <laughs> you'll be on an SEO podcast in the next few months, telling them oh, great. all the amazing <laughs> stuff you did and got your SEO straight up there. So, yeah, are you going to yeah. continue testing after you go live? After like all this is done, are you going to continue testing, or do you think you're done? <laughs> yeah, good question. We we actually haven't done a whole lot of testing recently in the recent months. Call it since since COVID, but every time there's something that's significant that needs changing, we will um, that we perceive to be significant. But the smaller things we don't. But um, actually, I do have a, an interesting story about a uh, a test I did um, on some showrooms probably about eight months ago. We, armed with this new knowledge, and this is kind of totally going to contradict what I've just been talking about, armed with this new knowledge of keeping everything simple and informative and that sort of thing, we took one of our landing pages and totally rejigged it. I, I, I took to Photoshop and wireframing and just totally rejigged this page, which is a big um, conversion page for us, and said, you know what, we're going to put it on steroids here. We're going to make it more like more clear clarity in the data, more more clarity in sort of the product submission or more clarity in minimum orders, that sort of thing. And it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be simple, but it's going to have everything the customer needs. So I actually added a degree of complexity. I thought um, it's too simple at the moment. And we rolled it out. And in my mind, it was beautiful and functional. Overnight, it dropped, again, probably just as much. I'd say at least 40 or 50%. And I was like, what's wrong? This is this is holding the customer's hand all the way through to, you know, submit. And my developer looked at me and said, mate, they just don't like it. They do not like it. And you know what? We learned our lesson a lot quicker, from, you know, obviously having a bit more experience. And the next week, I think, or we might've run it for two weeks. We rolled it back and you know what? It went straight back up to where it was. So this, this landing page, which we've had for probably five years, which is really simple, clean and simple, and just basically submit a form, converts it, almost double the rate of this thing, which I thought was much more informative and much easier to use and much more beautiful. I think what I was saying before, it really, it, the brand is also about knowing your clientele. So mm -hmm. you could have a, a, something that is a beautiful brand vision and is gorgeously, you know, beautiful design, but it doesn't resonate with your clients. And some people find 
something that is premium or luxe can actually be a, a turnoff for them. And there's certain customers who want that clutter, who are very price driven, who, you know, resonate a lot more with that. So I think it's really in, in the case of what you were saying, like if you, you thought it was beautiful, but it turned your customers away. So not only is it about the aesthetic, but it's about understanding what your brand is to your customers. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think, um, yeah, it's a really nice point. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of examples out there of people who've, you know, designed a website, a lot of money, a few Australian brands, one in particular, a major liquor brand that spent over a million dollars on their website and had 20% drop in sales all because they went through that traditional process and sent it live and then saw the sales and then went, Oh, holy shit, let's go back. We roll back to their old site. I remember you telling me the story, Nemo, and that was when we were first getting into um, CRO. And I think that was one of the stories that really was a, a defining moment for me and, and realising the importance of us moving into the CRO space. And it was um, a story about Marks and Spencers and how they'd spent millions of pounds, millions and millions of pounds to do this huge new uh, website design in the traditional method as we're talking today about old versus new web development methods, this was the traditional rollout of a huge, you know, redesign and um, new website. And they lost, I think, 20% revenue month on month overnight. So they did no testing. They just launched a new website and it was so bad that they actually just rolled back to their old website in a, in a mad panic because the, the, the sales dropped so significantly it was diabolical. And I remember Nima telling me that story. And that's when I, I kind of thought, wow, this CRO thing, it, it really must work because you, you just realize the repercussions you can have on a business and a, especially a business to that um, caliber and size that, you know, a 20% drop in sales, you know, month on month can, can be actually devastating for a business. And there was that example. And then there was another example um, Nima, was it Barclays Bank that you said about their trading platform? What was that one? They redesigned their trading, their online trading um, portal. And the experience was so bad that 20 to 30% of their customer base left overnight and went to a competitor so much so that the competitor actually put up on their webpage, we cannot take on anymore. We just don't have the bandwidth to take on all these customers in what's such a short period of time. So it was a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting paradigm because See, I was funny enough, I was talking to a company just recently who was like looking to redo their site and they want to bring experimentation into the business. So they were like, do we, do we redesign the site using experimentation or do we go to the traditional way and then once it's done, bring in experimentation? And I wasn't able to convince them that, you know, this new way of thinking of redesigning using experimentation is a much safer, faster and data-led approach and you, you know, circumvent any negative outcomes. And they went, they actually wrote to me and said, oh, look, we, we think we're going to go more the traditional brand base. And I was like, good luck. Unbeknownst to me, I was like, if only I had this recording and I could have sent them this before <laughs> that. But anyway, such is life. To that point, Jeremy, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you started this whole program, what would you tell yourself? That's a, a very funny one because I have thought about it a few times about uh, obviously the lost time we had, lost sales, lost opportunities. And we probably all in all lost between two to two and a half months of well, not lost, but dropped substantial um, leads for two to two and a half months. And that, you know, that's a pretty decent hit. So I often do think, well, how would we have done it differently? I'm not sure if we could have, um, to be honest. I mean, with perfect hindsight, we would obviously not have just made the beautiful you know, changes, but I'm not sure if we could have known without doing it. Um, and the only thing that comes to mind is perhaps we could have done a whole lot of user testing. Mm start 
basically, you know, it's got a bigger sample site, maybe got 20, 20 users to sample the new site and see what they think. And their, their feedback might have been negative. It might have been positive, to be honest. Uh, most people like the look of the, old, of the sort of the new stylish yeah. one. But to be honest, I don't think we could have done a whole lot other than, you know, potentially engage a UX company, which would have paid itself off many times over. But at the same time, we would still have to, had to have run it. I think the main thing we could have fixed is not waiting so long to change. So, I mean, if we had that beautiful website up for two weeks and we we're ready to go and snap back within two weeks, then that would have reduced our downside significantly. But I think also your, you've actually, credit to you that you monitored it and that you were able to pivot and react quite quickly because going back to what Nima was saying and, and you know, these businesses coming and say, look, I'm going to go down that traditional web development method. Like mm. people, I, I still find it quite amazing, I guess, because CRO, we know so well that people would still go down that traditional web development route, you know, and rather than doing yeah. testing. But I, I think it's because in market, there are still so many people who, who don't even know about CRO. They don't know the power. As you said, you'd kind of heard about it, but you didn't really know it was so critical. So mm. it's, I always find it amazing how many businesses are still going down that, traditional route and then launching something and going, hang on a second, this is not working. So I'm in credit to you that you saw it wasn't working and off your own back, having never done CRO kind of, you know, used your own um, skills to analyze the website and work out and pivot really quickly. And obviously that made a, a huge difference to increase those sales. I mean, it took two and a half months, but lucky two and a half months rather than a year of revenue and your business is going down the toilet. Yeah. So you just reminded me, um, Stacey, of another sort of really critical indicator for us. And um, and again, it comes around to, um, to the data sort of pointing the way, but we have um, pretty good internal dashboards for our cost per acquisition for um, our AdWords and our pay-per-click um, advertising. And I have a weekly call with our agency. And when I was speaking to him in, in, during these, these bad weeks, I was like, what's going on? Why are we paying, you know? $100 lead when we normally used to pay $50 lead, for example. And he kept coming back to me and say, hey, your ads are the same. We're doing everything the same. It must be you. And, you know, like nobody likes to be, uh, uh, you know, insulted or, you know, they were criticized or whatever. And I was like, for the first couple of weeks, I was like, no, it is all you. And I actually, you know, <laughs> I actually got a bit defensive. I was like, no, no, no. And at one point I, I said to my co-founder, I was like, you know what, has our agency dropped the ball? What are they doing? But, you know, I obviously kind of subconsciously knew that they, they hadn't but it made sense right our data has shown that previously say our conversion rate was 10 percent or five percent so our our cost per lead was all of a sudden double and that was actually a really big um point at that you know our conversion something was wrong in, in conversion rate land because we we're paying double per lead and it's not nice <laughs> do you know why that is the, why that? the uh, google uses a thing that looks at relevancy so the more relevant yeah. An experience is, and it looks at that conversion action occurring. The more of that conversion action occurring, the relevance, the more it actually favors you and it reduces your cost per click. So, the higher your conversion rate becomes on site, the lower you start paying for a conversion because Google's algorithm, yep. in a really basic term, and I'm not an SEO guy, is basically your cost per click equals your relevancy score multiplied by your bid. So, you're, one, you're always one cent more or less than the person above you. Or below you and then your relevancy score so you're really and most people don't realize is everyone goes through this stupid method of paying more money than the guy above them to become number one or number three whatever position you think is awesome 
I don't know what I'm, I used to sell SEO before Google came out, right? So I was out there going Google and they go, what's a Google? And you're like, you know, us Jeeves, it's better, right? So it was like, everyone wanted the like number three position because that was the best converting anyway, old days. But your relevancy score has a huge impact on how much you end up paying. And so if you want to pay less, increase your conversions because Google's job is to make it a better experience for the customer. So the more you convert, the better it thinks the experience is, the less it charges you. And something we often say to our clients, you know, if the more conversion that you do, you'll actually start spending less driving traffic to your website. You know, that, that old saying about paying, spending $99 to, to bring um, or drive leads to your website and only spending $1 converting them. So if you actually focus <laughs> and spend more money converting them, you will naturally have uh, a, a lesser cost per click for acquisition. So listen, we, uh, we're, we're going way over. Jeremy, you're obviously a very engaging and entertaining person to talk to. I'm sorry we had to talk about a bad experience that you've turned into a good one, of course. So thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time and, and you um, sharing out your story. Now, listen, if, uh, if you want to give a bit of a quick plug to the business, to anyone listening out there, some of the business owners out there, yeah, if you're after any branded products or uniforms, check out goodthings.com.au. We'd love to help. Nothing like good swag to get all your customers <laughs> following you. All right, well, Jeremy, thanks again. Thanks for coming on board and look forward to hearing more of your great stories later. Thanks, Nima. Thanks, Stacey. So that was a great conversation with Jeremy. Um, Stace, do you want to wrap up, maybe give the guys a bit of an update around our education product? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure if people know or I've seen on LinkedIn, but um, we're actually offering education courses now around conversion rate optimization. There's two courses that we're doing, one which will be called the um, CRO or Experimentation Fundamentals course, which is a one day course. And it gives you kind of all the basics you need to know about how to do CRO and conversions on your own website. Or if you've kind of like done it before, or maybe you're working for a business and you're running you know, CRO programs, but you want to take it to the next level. Maybe you've got to create a, a team within your business or you really, really want to take it to the next level. We've got a 10 week course, which is a conversion manager course. And it's every usually Thursday or Friday for four hours and it runs for 10 weeks. And that's the really meaty stuff where we do end to end about, a, a, you know, becoming a conversion manager, essentially. So they're really great courses. You can check them out at neuropublic.com forward slash education. And the next conversion manager course, which is the more intense course, once a week, starts on the 7th of August. So there'll be another fundamentals course, which I think might be in August as well. But yeah, if anyone's interested, jump onto the website or, or um, our LinkedIn pages, get in touch and we can let you know a little bit more about them. But certainly very, very helpful for anyone wanting to take their CRO exp um, or experimentation knowledge to the next level. Yeah, we've had some pretty big brands like, you know, guys from HCF, Fantastic Furniture, Zip, Qantas, a whole Qantas, bunch of really great yeah. brands out there. So get in touch. Um, you know, you want to you wanna be the best, learn from the best. See you next time, episode 12. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Stacey. Bye.